wanted to do a quick follow-up on uh, Becca's comment about UMCOR. That's the United Methodist Committee on Relief. And to let you know how proactive they are, I saw last night that they're already in contact with officials in Mississippi and also in Alabama after the, those horrific tornadoes that have caused so much devastation. Right now, the local officials are saying, we don't need anybody to come down here yet because they're still just trying to see if they can find somebody who's alive. But I wanted you to know that because we'll be giving you an opportunity to give through UMCOR soon whenever the officials on the ground in Mississippi tell them that it's safe and they're organized enough to take on. But UMCOR is one of the first, often is the very first organization uh, to be on the ground anytime there's a natural disaster. And the whole beauty of this offering today is it covers their administrative costs so that when you give, if you you give, for instance, when we give you an opportunity uh, to support relief effort in, in Mississippi and in Alabama, every single penny of what you give will go directly to that. So it, it's really a great way to contribute if you feel helpless and you just love to do something to help folks. It's a really good way to do it. So I wanted to mention that because I know many of you have been just lingering over your news feeds and seeing the number. 26 was the last I saw that were killed and they thought there would be more. Um, so we pray for them and we will also roll up our sleeves as best we can to help them. Now, turning a page, as, as a pastor, you, you're asked to do a lot of different things. And I've been blessed to, uh, to obviously get to preach, to lead worship, and to go visit people in times of need. I mean, I've, I've anointed houses. I've blessed houses before. Um, I blessed a gerbil once, you know. I mean, honestly. And, and you know, I can't find a strong theological, uh, you know, basis for that other than the fact that the little girl who owned the gerbil was so touched that I would bless her gerbil. Now, her gerbil didn't make it. But that's not the point. The point is she needed to know that she mattered to God. And so I blessed her gerbil. And I was, I was happy to do it. Baptized people in swimming pools and rivers and right here and in the other room over there. Lots of wonderful things. But when you're a pastor also, uh, it, there are some heavy things that come along. And particularly if someone in your peer group dies, then often they will turn to you because, you know, I'll, the only difference between me and a lot of my friends uh, is that I've somehow, God broke through and said, hey, I, I need you to get involved with me again. And Lynn and I, my wife Lynn and I went back to church and that all, that all led in the late 80s to me winding up here. Not everybody did. And I understand that. And, and so when someone dies, they need someone to do the service. And I've done a number of those services for people. Uh, there was one in particular, though, that was really, really hard. One of my best friends in the world that I'd known since I was this tall, we've literally almost died together, lived a lot together. Uh, the story about death, I'll tell you in the parking lot. I can't tell it up here. I can't give you all the details on this platform. Decorum prohibits that. But uh, let's just say it was a close shave on Chapman Highway uh, as we challenged a bridge abutment. And I'm sure the bridge abutment would have won had we gone through the challenge uh, after I fell asleep uh, in the car. And my friend screamed at me at 2 o'clock in the morning as he just happened to wake up and see this bridge abutment on the other side of Chapman Highway closing fast. And he he screamed trotter and I hit the brakes and he grabbed the wheel and we slid to a stop in the middle of Chapman Highway and later on he would say you know there must be something else and it was kind of it was kind of ironic 
because about 10 years ago now, my friend killed himself. Uh, he had some demons. He was a great man, had a great heart, had two children, uh, but, but he had some demons he could not handle. Drugs and alcohol by name. And it finally got the best of him. And, and um, so he, 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 he did everything he could. We all tried to reach out. And, uh, uh, but, you know, you, you can't do that. It's, it's, it's no good when someone we love does kill themselves to say, oh, I should have done more. You know, at that, at his service, which, which I was asked by his sister to do his service, and I was honored to do it, but I told everybody at the service, the first thing I said to them is, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, it's not your fault, because we, we immediately always do that to ourselves. But it was, it was tough, and, and, and so I talked to a lot of friends, and I amassed a lot of information. I had my own two hours worth of stories, but I didn't want it just to be about myself and him. There are others, and so we had a wonderful service with great stories and music, and I learned when I'd done my father's eulogy that there's a grace that comes with that. You just have to go over it and go over it until you kind of numb yourself to it because it doesn't do anybody any good for the pastor to stand up, stand up there and blubber for 20 or 30 minutes. You know, somebody needs to be able to, to speak in the situation. So, so I just kind of pushed everything aside and uh, we did what we needed to do for my friend and, and, it, was, uh, and it was good. So some months later, uh, I was, had, it was one of those days where you just feel off, you know, and you can't really put a finger on it, uh, depressed maybe, just down, I don't know. But I, I went home, I was here at that time, went home for lunch, and I just wasn't in, to, in doing anything much. So I did something I rarely do, turned on the TV right after I ate some lunch, and, and a movie was just about, well, it's three-fourths of the way done, The Bucket List. And I love that movie, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson, you know, and they're both dying and they put together this bucket list of things they want to do before they die. And uh, it's a great movie, I think. Um, so I'm watching it and it was right at the point where if you've seen the movie, uh, Jack Nicholson is about to have surgery. He's got this brain tumor and it's finally about to get him. And Morgan Freeman comes to see him. And Jack Nicholson, is, is he's very well off and he has this certain kind of coffee he likes to drink. And I cannot think of the name of it, but it's, it's Kofi something. It's, it's a real thing. And the, the unique thing about this coffee is where it's grown, there are these civets, these cats. And I can't, there's no way to tell this without being a little bit gross, but basically the cats ingest the coffee beans. I see somebody going, uh-huh. And then they expel them. You're, we're on the same page, right? You with me? And so, you can imagine having this job where you get to go, you get to go through all that and pluck the beans back out. And so, hopefully, they wash them. I'm pretty sure they do. But, th but that, is, that is honest. That's the truth. And that's what makes that coffee so spectacularly good, apparently. I've never tried any. Um, but Jack Nicholson didn't know that. And so Morgan Freeman, and right before he goes into surgery, one of the things on the bucket list was to laugh until we cry. And so he, he, I can't tell the joke. It's got this incredible punchline. But again, decorum prohibits me telling the joke up here. But essentially, Morgan Freeman describes how, what that coffee really, really how it's really made. And so they laugh hysterically. And it's a funny line. It's a great moment in the movie. And I'm sitting on the couch and don't go watch it and say, I can't believe the preacher told me to watch that. You know, I mean, come on. We're all, you know, it's, it's okay. So, so I'm sitting on the couch and, and I'm watching, I'm watching the, the thing and they're all laughing and I start laughing. 
And all of a sudden, I just segue into sobbing. I was laughing and all of a sudden, I was, I, you know, chest heaving, sobbing, tears squirting out of my eyes. And I'm calling my friend's name. I, I hadn't thought about him. Well, I didn't think I had. Apparently, I had been. And I'm calling his name and saying, why? And maybe said a couple of words. I, again, I can't say in here. But I'm like, why? Why? And I just had this moment where I just lost it. And so I, I kind of collected myself. And I realized then in that following moment, it was like, it was like you'd stabbed yourself. And then suddenly it stopped hurting. And I was okay. And I felt at ease. And I didn't feel down anymore. I was, I was okay. And, you know, it's funny. You study these sorts of things uh, in, in seminary and pastoral care and those sorts of things. And you read about them. But you don't realize just how powerful grief is. Grief is so powerful. And, and what, I, what I've learned is, is that I had pushed him out of my life trying to avoid the grief. And at some point, he just said, no, Trotter, buddy, I'm coming back and you're going to have to deal with me. And he did. And it was cathartic. It was beautiful. And so today... As we talk about Jesus facing Jerusalem, we've talked about these different challenges that were on the way. And today we're going to talk about grief. Because Jesus faced all the emotions we face. Now, some of the darker ones he didn't linger over, but we know that he can relate to us. Everything we go through, he knows how we feel because he's felt it. And we, we, particularly anger, he got very angry at people along the way. He felt frustrated. He, was, he, he got down, had anxiety. He was afraid at times. And today we're going to talk about the reality of grief. Jesus felt grief on many occasions. And we're going to talk about the story where he prayed in the garden just before he was arrested. But that wasn't the first time. But I want to focus on that to see if we can learn anything from his experience that can help us as we deal with this common experience of grief. I went to uh, the internet, and I'm careful when I do this because, as we all know, you can, find any, you can find all manner of experts on everything on the internet. And if you happen to really know about something, and you read about one of these knuckleheads that thinks they know about everything but you know it becomes clear then that not everybody who has access to a keyboard knows what they're talking about but I went to the psychology today website because it's pretty it's pretty reliable and I, I wanted to just do some research I read this this is their clinical definition of grief and it's helpful because of one word in it grief is is the acute pain that accompanies loss because it is a reflection of what we love that's the word to hang on it can feel all-encompassing. But also, grief is not limited to the loss of people. And I love the fact that they named it. Grief is a living artifact of love. And they can't be separated. The only way we could ever avoid having grief in our life is to never love anyone or anything. And I do not think that's a fair trade.
I'll take the pain of grief every time if it comes along with having the joy and the richness of being able to love others and to love other situations and, and things in my life. I've got to read this one quote, and then I won't read any more quotes, but this is from a writer, uh, Anne Lamott, and I've never read any of her stuff. I've heard of her, but I read this quote. I've got to share it with you. I think this is really helpful. You will lose someone you can't live without. And your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you can never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold. But you learn to dance with the limp. And that's grief. We learn to dance with the limp if we can make our way through. I, I love, I don't say loved anymore about people that I knew that are gone. I don't say loved. I love. I still love my friend like, a, like a, a brother that couldn't be any closer to me. But I understand whenever I was trying to push, push those thoughts away so that I could do what I needed to do to, to have the service and probably just to avoid pain. I was pushing that love out of my life. I was pushing how much I love him and how much he loved me out of my life to try to get rid of the grief. And that is, that, I'm not willing to do that once I realized what I was doing. That's not a fair trade. So when I finally so, you know, that movie just, just broke my, down my defenses at just the right moment. <laughs> and my friend came and slinging his elbows back in. Here I come, Trotter. You can't keep me away. I love you. You love me. Let's let that memory continue. It's really a beautiful thing. Now, now think about that. Now think about this. And this is important at this time of year when we're looking at Holy Week coming up and we're going to talk about his trial and his beating and his crucifixion and all that. We have to remember that, yes, Jesus was God Almighty. Jesus was the second person of the Trinity. We think of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He was there at creation. He was there before the foundations of the earth. But he was also 100% a human being who felt the things we feel, challenged by the things we were challenged by. So imagine this then. If he is God at his essence, and God is love. God doesn't just love. God is is love at his core his nature then imagine how badly grief impacted him and he did grieve and we're going to read a, a passage in a minute that talks very specifically about one instance of grief but there were many because his grief in the garden when he was arrested, which I believe part of that was grief and not just that fear of what was coming, but he was grieving everything coming to an end. That wasn't the only time. There were other moments in his life when, when he grieved. And Jesus' grief was not reserved for just people who died, but for, for everyone, for you and me. For instance, and we're going to come back to this because this is a big thing. Sometimes we, we only think we can grieve whenever it's someone who's died, and that's hard. But we grieve at other times too. Verse 41, this is earlier in Luke as he's making his way toward Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it 
and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. When he, when he was walking into the city and he knew that the Jewish people, his own people, now some, some of them were with him, but a lot, the religious leaders had all rejected him and a lot of people had rejected him as Messiah. And I think Jerusalem is sort of emblematic for the whole world. The people thought they had their own way of doing business and they didn't need God or they needed God to mind his place so that they could run their lives. And Jesus came so that we could have life fully. And let him be there for us in those moments. And he wept. He grieved that. So there are other situations where we can find grief too. But what I want to do now is, is take a moment to look at this particular passage that we find as, as Jesus is on his journey. You know, back 40 years ago, there was a book called On Death and Dying. And it talked about these five steps in grief. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the conventional wisdom used to be everybody just went through those steps in order. Well, now, now I say we, I'm not a psychologist, but the conventional wisdom is now, no, no, no. Grief is a journey and we may experience all those things, but we may experience one in the middle and then the first one comes, and then we go back to that one, and then we go to the one at the end. It's, it's unique for every person and every situation. So as Jesus made his journey to Jerusalem, he was on another journey, a journey of grief, just like you and me. Our life at times includes a journey of grief. So what did he do to manage it? to deal with it in his humanity. So read this passage now. This is from Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 46. Uh, some of the other gospel writers call the Garden Gethsemane. Well, this is the same place. Luke just calls it the Mount of Olives. It's probably the larger geographical location of where uh, Gethsemane was. But we're talking about the same story. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. By the way, by the way, pause. Why did he go there as usual? He went there to pray all the time. Back more on that in a minute. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Another translation of the Aramaic word that gets translated to Latin, or I'm sorry, to Greek for, uh, for our New Testament is grief. They grieved themselves. They'd been grieving Jesus leaving ever since he started talking about, I have to go away and some people are going to take me and they're going to kill me and in three days I'm going to rise again. Well, they didn't know anything about the rising again part. They couldn't process that. They could process the killing part. So he said, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Grief touched Jesus. But it did not stop him. And I want to I kind of focus on that for a few minutes. Because grief 
can stop us in our tracks. Now, we need to allow time for the grieving process. But more importantly, it doesn't mean that because we're grieving the loss of a person or some situation in our life that we'll talk about in a minute, it doesn't mean life's over. It doesn't mean it can never be any good again. Jesus continued the mission. He had a goal. He was not going to stop until he had redeemed all creation through his death on the cross and rose in glory at the empty tomb. Grief touched him, but it didn't stop him. And the same can be true with us. How did he manage that? How did he manage to keep going when he had so much that grieved his soul? One word, relationships. First of all, it was a relationship with his father in heaven. You know, he didn't have a hotline. He didn't DM, you know, he didn't DM Jesus on Instagram. He he did. He uh, he didn't DM his father in heaven. He he talked to his father in heaven the same way we do. He prayed. He prayed. That's why he prayed all the time, because he wanted that line of communication with his father in heaven open all the time, and so he prayed. And that's what he does in this situation. He prays, and what happens when he prays? An angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him. There was help there. So Jesus kept that relationship with his father strong. And because of that, he was able to move through the grief. He didn't, it didn't keep him from grieving, but it kept him moving through the grief. And also relationships with others. He could have gone to the garden by himself. And as it turns out, uh, you know, some of the disciples got angry when this, when this mob came to arrest Jesus. And one of them pulled out a sword and cut off one of the, one of the person's ears. And it was a mess. It, it probably would have been better for Jesus if he had just gone by himself out there and just said, guys, I have to go. But he didn't. He invited his disciples to go with him because he needed their presence. He needed those relationships that had nurtured him all along the way. As he grieved, I believe at times, all through his ministry, as he saw situations unfolding in ways that, that were less than healthy. I want to tell you a quick story about that it will help as we grieve and resist the temptation to hide, because sometimes when people are grieving, they will keep that from other people because they're afraid of what people will think. They're afraid of the emotions they're feeling. This may ring true for some of you. It does for me. I was so mad at my friend when he killed himself. And there was a lady in our church. It's been years ago. They've since moved to another city with a job. And her brother killed himself. And she came to me, she said, can I come and talk to you? And I said, well, sure, I'm not a counselor, but I'll come and talk to you and we can pray. And so she, she said, I, I am so mad at my brother. I mean, his picture hangs, still hangs in the hallway in our house. And I cussed him the other day as I walked by. This was after he'd killed himself. And I cussed him, my brother, and he's dead. And I must be, what kind of a horrible person am I? And I said, well, hang on. You seem like a really nice person. Let me ask you a question. What kind of relationship did you have with your brother? And she kind of lightened up and she told a couple of little quick stories. But basically she said, oh, we, we fought like cats and dogs. We, did, we disagreed on almost everything. But we loved each other fiercely. And we would, whoa, we would 
sometimes cuss at each other. And, and it was just really, some people thought we hated each other, but we didn't. We loved each other. That's just the way our relationship worked. So I just kind of let a, there be a little pause for her to think about it. And I said, well, why would you think then that because he's dead, the relationship would have suddenly changed? Sounds to me like you're still loving him the way you always loved him. If he were here, he'd probably, he'd probably answer whatever you said to him. It's just, it's continuing. It's that grief is an artifact, a living artifact of love. And, and it's just a relate. You don't need to feel badly about that. You're loving him when you do that, the way you always did, the way you told me you did. Grief is a promise that love remains even when the loved one is gone. It reminds us that they're still right here and that relationship is still strong and we can still talk to them and we can laugh with them and cry with them and we can cuss at them if that's what comes out. I was so mad at my friend after he killed himself and I felt badly about that, but it's okay. We're only human. So don't, that, that's one way that we don't follow through on the relationships because we're afraid people will judge us if we tell somebody that. That's a beautiful thing. That means you're working through grief if you do that. So now let's talk about this other thing. We've talked about grief as it impacts a person and as we deal with loss of, of someone we love and that's hard. But there are other ways that we grieve. We grieve well, you know what? You know what? As a big part of divorce is grief. And I know we have people in here today who are either in process or have come through a divorce. And God bless you. Uh, we pray for you. Because I know that that loss can also create grief. I had a friend. I have a friend who at the time had two young children. And he went through a divorce. And they all lived in the same town. And they were very, he was very much part of their lives. They were, they were always together. And then... Um, their mom remarried and they moved about 90 minutes away. And my friend lost, I don't know, I'm guessing 30 pounds. And he was just different for a while because he was grieving. He was grieving. His children were still very much alive, but he couldn't just go get them and take them, you know, to Arby's for a Jamocha shake anytime he wanted to. They loved that, by the way. He he couldn't do that anymore. And it was like they were gone. And he was grieving that. And that happens to us too. In not just a marriage relationship, but other relationships when they come to an end. We can grieve that loss. And it's very, very real. We can grieve, we can grieve the loss of a job. People get that, they get that notice that, you know, I'm sorry, we're discontinuing your position or we're laying you off. And, and maybe it's a job you really loved and you're grieving that loss or or you move you have to move and we've talked to a lot of people who've been through this church in the 22 years I've been here that had to move away and it was hard hard for everybody and another one where there's grief involved and I'm just now learning about this is when there are major life transitions like retirement Whew. retirement um, I understand now that I've been, I'm, I'm kind of working my way through stages of grief. In the three months that I have left here, there's so much that I want to do. Um, I love you guys. 
and and but but and and it was it was halting me. I was dealing with some anxiety and some stuff that seemed to be sort of out of the blue. <laughs> it's not out of the blue, as a wise counselor told me. You're grieving, Larry. Let it happen. Let it happen. And you may be going through the same thing. Maybe not retirement, but maybe some other situation in your life is changing. And you may be grieving that. It's okay. It's human. Talk to somebody. Pray. Pray. Talk to God a lot about it. I do. And I'm telling him, you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying, poor me, God. Poor anoint me because I hurt. No. What I'm praying for is show me what's next. I'm not going to sit down under a tree somewhere. Show me what's next. And just because things are changing doesn't mean it can't be good again. Doesn't mean it can't be great again. It's just going to be different. And you may find that going on in your life right now, in a relationship, in a job, whatever the life situation may be. Grief was a part of Jesus' journey. And he will be with us when it becomes a part of our journey. That's the thing to remember. The disciples were grieving. It says explicitly in the Bible, they were grieving out there in that garden. Jesus was there to encourage them. Jesus is here to encourage us. He is on the journey with us. And he knows how to handle grief. He knows how to help us through those tough spots. It's part of life. Without it, we can't, no grief, no love. I'll take the love. Even if it means the grief comes with it. Because grief is a living artifact of love. And it lodges right here. And it's not always sharp. Sometimes it smooths out and it can turn into an abiding joy of a love that still remains. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for the way you made us, the way that you shared your essence of love with us and gave us the ability to love, to love deeply and to feel bonds with other human beings Deep, deep connections that sustain us, that fulfill us and enrich our lives. And oh God, it hurts when they're gone. Oh God in heaven, how it hurts when they're gone. So we pray to you, oh God, to tend to the hurt. We pray, oh God, that you would move us around if we have friends that are hurting, that we might be there for them as they can be for us. If, give us the courage to let somebody know and, to, and to, to lean on the relationship with you and relationship with others to get us through the journey, regardless how long it takes, to know that our journey is ours and ours alone and that we can love again And that actually love will always be there. Life can be good. Life can be great. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the one who died to give us life. Jesus, the Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to 
podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.